right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Can Steal That, the true crime podcast that's never too heavy. I'm your host, Pete Stegmeyer. I uh, had a two-week break, so thank you guys for bearing with me and coming back. But uh, I was on vacation, and then I just got word that the final edits of the book are like totally done. So I took a little time off to celebrate. I'm very, very excited for you guys to to see that, though, and for it to, to be out. And I'm also super excited to be talking about this heist or set of heists in particular, because it's one that is probably one of the coolest, like most quintessential heists. And it's one I've wanted to do for a long time. And I couldn't be happier to have the guest on today that, uh, that we have. She is a amazing comedian, a fierce roast battler, and you can find her on Instagram at share the comedian. Cher Landman, how are you doing? I'm good, Pete. How are you? Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to be talking about my favorite topic outside of comedy, which is jewelry and diamonds. Uh, what else does a Jewish girl need? Nothing. Nothing, Nothing. else. <laughs> yeah, this this is a good one. Like, because these are like these are like the creme de la creme as far as like diamonds and jewels go. Uh, we are going to be talking about some Harry Winston uh, Paris flagship store heists. All right. Happy and, to hear about that. I mean, I, and then just thinking about it is like really making me salivate. I, I have lost a pendant, like a gold pendant necklace that I had on the beach and it was like a gold medallion. So upsetting. So I've been looking around for something to replace it and just going through thinking about jewelry is, is really, it's a, it's a whole thought process. Cause that's something you want to be able to have some consideration of like, when I'm going to use this, is this every day? Am I going to hand this down to family members? Is this going to last? Does it have longevity? Is this going to look stupid at a, you know, a certain point in my life, am I going to, it's like, a, it's almost like a tattoo. I mean, obviously you can pawn some jewelry or, you know, sell it on eBay. I wouldn't buy anything from eBay, although I have been looking, I have been looking, but it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, that, that is fair. You never like, yeah, it's hard to, hard to verify what, um, like what you're going to get on, on eBay. I would, I would suggest, uh, just, just robbing Harry Winston, uh, because apparently it's very easy to do. Oh, okay. Well, let's hear about it. I mean, it's also, it's not easy to get a man to buy you jewelry either. Like I haven't figured that out besides my parents, my father, maybe my uncle has bought me some jewelry, which has been nice. Um, but I haven't been able to lock that down. So that's, that's fair. Uh, well, I can, like as we get through this episode, uh, you will be introduced to some men that might might be very interesting um, interested in getting you jewelry. All right, cool. Okay, so with this one, uh, let's go ahead and we'll dive deep, like first right into the story. And I'm super excited about this one because there's like there's a lot of like these are very movie quality heists. So. On the morning of October 6th, two, uh, 2007, four uh -huh. thieves were huddled in the stairwell of the Harry Winston Paris store. Uh, they spent the night there. They'd, been, they'd gotten in in the middle of the night. And just before 10 a.m., uh, so this is the morning of October 6th, 2007, just before 10 a.m., the store's import and export director, a woman named Anne-Marie Copteville, arrived at the store and she met with the security guard to unlock the store's side door. And the reason that she had to meet with the security guard is because Harry Winston had actually pretty decent security. And one of the things that they did to, to prevent, you know, robberies and things like that was they didn't give any of the management staff keys themselves. So every morning when the opening staff would come in, they would have to meet a security guard who was handed the keys, who would go to the door, unlock it for them, and then take the keys back to the uh, to a separate security depot. And was this in a vault? Uh, so this is not in a vault yet. This is just to open the front door or the side door of the store so that they can begin opening everything else. 
And so, like, you know, this is one thing I've noticed. And if you've ever been to Harry Winston up there on Fifth Avenue um, or any of the other jewelers, is that they put everything out. They display it in the front windows. They put it in the case, which is, you know, when I work in fashion, so there's like different terms for it. So for costume jewelry, there's top of counter, which is, which is go, which is out, you know, for fine jewelry, this would be under glass. So they're all under these glass cases. Of course, you know, you need an attendant to unlock it. But, you know, with Harry Winston in Paris, I'm assuming that they take like the the creme de la creme pieces that they put out in the front window every day, lock those away in a vault or under, you know, is everything cleared out from the cases and going into safes or what? It, what's the procedure? Do you know? I, I do. You are dead on. So. Basically, at the end of every night, they would gather all of the under glass and like the the top of shelf, like basically any of their jewelry would be taken out of the display cases and then put into safes in the office, uh, in the offices of like the management team and things like that. So in the morning, as people were opening the store up, they were like doing some cleaning and things like that to, to get the store ready for the day. But they're also putting the pieces back on display. All right. So and because... Cool. Yeah, yeah, and because this is, you know, such a big store with such high dollar items, they don't necessarily have like a ton of stuff. Like they they have an impressive collection for sure, but it's not like one of those you know, one of those like huge jewelry stores where they can't even like get all the uh, you know, where there's like the, the less expensive stuff. Yeah. Like this is all like showcase no, stuff. There's no Valentine's day special. There's no, every kiss begins with K, you know, I always say like every kiss begins with K, but if you want more than a kiss, you better go to Harry Winston. That's, I, I think that's solid strategy. But, yeah, so this is, this is not like Zales. Right. And there's, I imagine, because now I haven't actually gone in there to shop, uh, it's a little out of my price range, just just today, just for now, you know, before that Netflix deal hits. But I imagine that everything is not, not only is it not crowded, but it's not ticketed like you're not it's not like you go there and there's there's a price point and it's and it's itemed and everything and and then they just tell you on the looking on the ticker there's some some (laughs) sticker shock there about how much something is at harry winston it's kind of like if you have to ask don't bother exactly it's it's definitely one of those places uh where like when you're at, when you're going to like purchase something, they like write a number on a piece of paper and then like slide it to you quietly, and then you like look at it and you're like, yeah, it's very good. Uh, like it's it's definitely not like a like where you have to like get the adhesive stickers to like you know put on the watches and things like that. I mean, I wonder too. It's like I've always wanted to pull this move when you look at something and you go, oh, can I see it? And you put it on. Do you, at this point, you can ask for a loop. Like maybe, maybe you're a jeweler's loop. When I say that, maybe you're, <laughs> maybe you're just seasoned enough that you have one. Maybe you're that much of a gold digger. Maybe you're Jaja Gabor and you have a jeweler's loop in your bra. I mean, I'd like to get to that point where I just have my own jeweler's loop at any time. I I know diamonds quite well, but okay. So another thing that's really interesting is you're going into this story to me that that immediately set up an alarm was when you said there was a Harry Winston heist in Paris. I was thinking we were going to go into like 1940s when there's not all this this technology, there's not all this uh you know, retina scans and thumbprints and all of the uh, these other security measures. I was so surprised that the story starts off in 2007 and these guys aren't doing any mission impossible garbage. They're just like hiding in basically the stairwell all night waiting to get in that, that to me sounds crazy that it's that easy to rob Harry Winston. 
Well, I think the issue with that is a lot of times stores like Harry Winston and places like the Antwerp Diamond Repository, they they think that their security, they always like their their security is very good, but it allows them to get complacent because they're like, oh yeah, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna do this. We have you know the cameras, we have everything, and like they they're not as not as vigilant. Like it's it's a little different with this one, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, it's. It's always amazing because, yeah, just the number of heists that have, like, big heists that have taken past, like, the past 20 years is is insane to me. Like, it's it's really fun. Like, it's cool that there's, like, still so many. Another thing that was pretty sus is that you mentioned it was in Paris. It was around, it was 2007, right? So, immediately when you say Paris, 2007, jewelry, when was, when was, Kim Kardashian tied up in Paris and when was her engagement ring from Kanye West stolen? Oh man, I am around the same time cuz this is it might be the same guys. Uh it it actually literally is. <laughs> so so we were going to get to that uh in a little bit. But, oh, no worries. This is yeah, this is the same people uh allegedly that robbed Kim Kardashian West in Paris. Uh, like, so if you go to Paris, like there's really good jewel thieves. So just be careful of that. Uh, maybe be careful. Like with like, if you have like one of those like costume jewelry rings, like you might get tied up in a hotel room, like go, go modest. Yeah. Don't, don't carry your jewels or I, I, I don't even know. Like I wouldn't have them on my possession. Yeah. I, I get like that now too when I uh, when I travel with stuff like even even like I don't have like insane watches or anything like that but I had like a watch stolen out of my luggage like when I was traveling to South Korea so now I'm like I keep like a little bit of stuff that I like wear on me and then that's that's pretty much it and it's usually not yeah it's like not crazy because it's just it makes you too much of a target yeah and insure this stuff it, yes definitely insure the stuff. All right. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Oh, no worries. Yeah. No worries. Let's let's get back into this. So it's the morning of October 6, 2007. There's four thieves huddled up in the stairwell inside the Harry Winston uh, Paris store. And just before 10 a.m., the store's import-export director, who is the, the opening manager for the store, uh, she meets a security guard who opens the side door and lets her in. And as as soon as she's inside the store... Uh, the first thing they do, her and the security guard deactivate the alarms for the day because of the fact that, you know, customers are about to start walking through. So there's no need now for like the motion detectors and, and things like that. So she gets up to like her office is on the third floor. She starts making her way up the stairs. And as soon as she gets into her office, the thieves were kind of like crouching behind one of the doors in the hallway they barge into the office, grab her by the throat, and pin her head to the desk. And then, yeah, at this point, like, they pull out guns and batons, and they demand to know how many other staff are in the building. What were and they wearing? What were the thieves wearing? Yeah, this is, yeah. Was it, like, cat blur- burglar? Were they wearing street clothes? Like, So, for this one, like... Uh, we're going to get into what they were wearing for the next heist because that's a little bit more like for this. I think they were just kind of in like standard, you know, dark clothes, possibly a lot of times they would wear jumpsuits, um, mostly because it's easy then to, you know, you know, ditch your coveralls if you're fleeing and also just to kind of like keep everything. And so like things aren't falling out of pockets and things like that. So typically a lot of these get done in like coveralls and boots. It's crazy to me also, like a jumpsuit, a jumpsuit is always problematic for me because you have to get completely naked to use the bathroom. Yes. Who has time for that when you're committing a crime and you're fleeing the scene? Yeah. It's, I mean, you have to plan everything. You have, it's, it's a nightmare. And you need someone to zip it up in the back. Oh no! These are the front. Like, oh. These are front loaded. So I these. I mean, it's for men. Obviously, like men is like y'all have. Yeah, it this here. is like this is like uh, Billy Joel Uptown Girl like mechanic coveralls. Okay. But uh, so they've got Captaville's head on the desk. 
they've pulled out guns and batons and they're demanding to know how many other people are in the store in terms of employees. And she goes and tells them like pretty much right away that only the security guard had come in with her and immediately two of the thieves run out of the room and go find the security guard. Uh, He was actually in the bathroom and he gets knocked over the head with one of the batons while he's in the bathroom. And so he's he's kind of like knocked out, but they also zip tie him. The urinal. Yeah, which is just. <laughs> he was not on a urinal when they did this. Like if someone comes in with the security, I'm in. Was he armed too? Is this an armed security guard, or is he just like with a with a walkie-talkie kind of deal? I feel like he was probably a walkie-talkie guy, uh, mostly because I feel like you're much less likely to see armed guards outside of America. Okay. But yeah, he he was uh, caught unaware and hit in the head with a baton. They zip tie him and then move him uh, over to like the security desk where he would be spending the rest of the day, typically. And that's like where the cameras are, where some of the alarm uh, sensors are and things like that. And as these two thieves are moving the security guard down to his desk, the other two are going- him or they're walking him. Arm in arm. Probably walking him arm in arm would mm-hmm. be my guess. Cause like, it's like when you get hit over the head like that, like you're not like on, if you're unconscious, like in the movies, like you need a hospital cause you're about to die. Uh huh. Like if your brain hits like that reset switch, like it's not good. Okay. And so this is probably him just like being kind of dazed and also like just not wanting to get hit again. Yeah. And, and I imagine like, I can't imagine that that guy's like being paid nearly enough to like put up a fight. Yeah. And so as, as they take the security guard to his desk, uh, the other two thieves actually, they do carry uh captive down to the bathroom and then they bind her hands and feet on the bathroom floor and just kind of leave her there. And then once she's kind of deposited in the bathroom, and like she can't leave because she can't access the door because her hands and feet are tied up. Uh, the other two thieves go and like they reconvene at the security desk with everybody else. And basically, they just kind of wait there for a couple minutes and they're watching the cameras, waiting for more employees to arrive. And a couple minutes later, the store's general manager and two of the hostesses that kind of like welcome you to the store and then show you around, they enter the store. And the two hostesses immediately get grabbed, they're searched for phones, and they're taken to the bathroom and tied up with Captaville. So now there's three people tied up in the bathroom. Uh, the manager, he gets grabbed as well and is taken to the store safe, and he's ordered to open it by the, by the thieves. And the manager, like, it seems like he's playing a fast one because he says that he can't remember the, uh, the security code for the safe that's atypical for french people because i feel like they're really easy to surrender and give up shit very (laughs) when faced with the gun (laughs) yeah that's that's definitely like but with this one like i'm not sure like if it was him like trying to like actually resist and be like i i forgot the safe or if it was it's also very possibly just a legit panic response because if there's there's a gun in my head. Like I, I couldn't remember like my high school locker combination. Mm. But Can regardless. you remember that now? Even I got your pin number. I mean, I could remember my pin number. I couldn't remember. I don't think I could remember like anything much more than that. Like even like some of the stuff that I used to have memorized. Like I, th- I think if you like pointed a gun at me, I might not be able to tell you like my childhood phone number. Um, yeah. So we're going to give this guy a pass. Um, but basically he actually, we're not going to give him a pass because even though he can't remember the, or allegedly can't remember the combination, he tells the thieves to go grab one of the hostesses who are these like young women. And he's like, Oh, she can unlock it. So they go grab another one of the employees, which I, I feel like is not a great move. Like that, that seems a little, on whose end is it? I think it's kind of a good move to unlock someone, unzip tie another person. 
Well, they they don't like but honestly, they don't have weapons, so they they're not going to go against these thieves. Yeah, and like it's not like they're untying her; they're just bringing her up to the safe so she can tell them the combination. Okay, so it's not like really like helping her out; it's more of just like putting the putting the pressure on this like poor woman. I mean, these girls—I don't even know if they if they have that. Well, uh, that access. The, this one did. Um, so she's able to actually like provide them the safe combination. Okay. And she enters it into the, into the keypad. And once she, once she hits the code, like the safe clicks open and the thieves just go and like grab some duffel bags that they brought with them and start emptying everything from the safe into the duffel bag. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as this is happening, like they're taking this hostess to the other safes, uh, other safes around the store. So there was like a separate safe for like watches and like timepieces and things like that. And basically, everything is getting loaded into these bags. But before long, like they they managed to hit like pretty much all of the safes and get everything. But before long, one of the thieves yells, "Farid, there's no more time!" Uh, and all of a sudden, like the Steve uh, with like this pretty large protruding nose that you can see under his ski mask, uh, like he turns, he calls one of the other thieves Voldemort, and then they go and like they take the employees back to the bathroom, and one of the thieves goes back up to the security desk and grabs the tapes, like all the camera tapes and things like that. So wait, what are these guys' names again? Voldemort and what? Uh, Voldemort and Farid. Okay. So obviously those aren't made up names. (laughs) Well, I think, I think what ended up happening actually was it sounds like Farid, like when one yells Farid, there's no more time. Like that's a mistake. Like that, that's like identifying information. And I think Farid was thinking on his feet and yelled, yeah, let's go Voldemort. Because then he's like, okay, like that's very clearly a fake name. Like that's, you know, that's the, bad wizard and Harry Potter. So maybe they'll think that all of these are like code names. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's actually pretty smart. Like Farid, like good on you, Farid. But basically like as one security or as one thief is at the security desk, he's grabbing all the security tapes. The others have the hostages now all collected in the bathroom and they mace them, uh, which seems a bit excessive. But then they run back through the store's back exit with the duffel bags full of jewelry and watches and things like that. And right outside the back door of the, the store, their getaway car is waiting for them. And they, they jump into an Audi and drive off. And in total, they'd made off with uh, just under 500 pieces of jewelry. I'm looking on the website right now uh, at you know, Harry Winston fifth Avenue, just kind of like seeing what are some of the items they could have made off with. And if I just click one of the engagement rings in the bell by Harry Winston collection, double click again. And these are platinum settings. I don't see one yellow gold setting in here. Everything's platinum. And it says starting at 12,400. And the carat weight is 0.5. Now, if I put in carat weight of two, it doesn't change. But um, micro pave on frame and band set in platinum. Interesting. Everything is by appointment. This is not like. Yeah, this is not like a a store that typically has people wandering in off the street to to look at things. Mm -hmm. Typically, if you're going to be, you know, because a lot of these stores like have like private salons inside of them where, you know, their, their high value customers can just kind of like sit and lounge and like they bring you champagne and they just kind of bring everything to you. It's not like one of the stores where you walk around a lot and just kind of stare at everything. Like Tiffany's on fifth Avenue kind of is because like a, they've got the, the chandelier and it's kind of like an iconic thing where people like to go see Tiffany's, but like, this is like a real deal fancy jewelry store where everything is very high end and kind of tailors to the customer. I'm trying to figure out like what kind of, I mean, these stones look like the color and the clarity are pretty pristine. 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't see Harry Winston really going lower than like a D on the on the color. Uh-huh. And same with clarity. Like I, I can't imagine that they have anything that's even like VVSI, which is like the very, very slightly included. Like I think all of their stuff is kind of by default, like as close to flawless as they can get it. Yeah. But speaking of flawless, uh, the thieves had been pretty flawless in their execution of this heist. Um, investigators immediately like go to the store and they start scouring over for clues. But the thieves were like super careful during this whole time. Even the stairwell where the thieves had been hiding, they had sp- the thieves like before they had done anything sprayed everything down with a fire extinguisher, and so that destroyed any possible DNA evidence, any fingerprints, things like that. And they do see like some boot prints with the fire extinguisher residue, but all that really proves is that somebody walked in an area where a fire extinguisher had been sprayed. Wow. So and, that gets that gets rid of fingerprints and everything else. I mean, if there, there was no hair, I'm assuming because they're all. Yeah, they were all in ski masks, so there's no hair. There's no. There's really nothing. The only only thing that they remotely have is the fact that somebody had yelled Fareed, mm-hmm. and that the other thief had been referred to as Voldemort. But other. Like that was literally the only evidence that they really had uh, because the security tapes had been taken. Everything else had, had gone cold. And because of that, like the case just kind of sits there and they never, they never really solve that case. However, just over a year later on December 4th, 2008, Harry's gets uh, Harry Winston gets hit again. Just after 5 p.m. on December 4th, four men, three of whom were dressed as women, complete with high heels, stockings, the whole, like, they went for it. They approached the front door of the jewelry store pretty much as it's getting ready to, to kind of wind down and close for the day. And they're standing at the front door and... The security guard like glances over pretty quickly and buzzes him in because again, this is one of those stores where you can't just walk in. Like you have to be, you have to be let in. So even if you're doing a walk-in, security has to buzz you in. And once they're in, like, and also like it's it's worth pointing out. I'm gonna post a picture in the show notes, and it's gonna be like the the main photo for this for this episode. Uh, these are not convincing women, uh, like women's costumes. Like they're, they're very clearly like big muscular men, just like in trench coats and wigs. <laughs> and <laughs> a couple people, like a couple witnesses actually from stores across the street, like made a note of that. They're like, yeah, they're like, there's these three giant dudes in like wigs and high heels, like standing out front of Harry Winston. So it draws attention like pretty quickly. Pete, now you have to be careful. You can't say dudes in wigs. You you don't know which pronoun that they use. So let's just say the robbers. That's that's definitely fair. Like definitely not trying to to be insensitive to that. I'm just kind of going off of what the other stores were like. Yeah, like that's these did not seem like you know the typical kind of women that would be shopping at Harry Winston. Uh, and a lot of the shop too big. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's pretty much what they said. They're like, it's big, number one, and they were not accompanied by men. Now, that's not saying you need a man to buy your jewelry. A lot of very successful women buy their own things. I think more women probably buy jewelry for themselves than uh, the other way around. However, I, I don't know. It's like, Every time I always shop in a thrift store and I look for designer clothing, it's always a size zero or a four. Like nobody that wears these designer labels <laughs> is any bigger than that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's it. And so like they, they kind of stand out by, I, I'm amazed they were able to get in heels. Uh, Cause it's like how, how many people make like, you know, a six inch pump in like size 12, probably not many. But regardless, they, they get buzzed into the store 
And one of the hostesses uh, meets them at the front door and starts walking them up the stairs into one of the private salons. And that was going to be like where they would sit and have, have some of the jewels brought to them and things like that. But as soon as the thieves entered the staircase, they pulled out guns and one of them pulled out a hand grenade from his purse. Damn. Yeah. And like burst into the manager's office and threatened to shoot anybody that didn't cooperate. Now, okay, so they didn't they didn't uh, give a lot of thought to their their dress. So the shoes weren't right, the purse wasn't right, the the hair wasn't right, their stature wasn't right. I just to me it's kind of hard because like in New York City you go to these expensive stores and you're shopping around, it's like you get the once over, up and down, up and down. Let me look at your shoes. Let me look at your jeans. Let me like look how old that shirt is that you're wearing. They always look at your shoes, by the way. That should have been the first tell. Like I'm just trying to imagine, are they pulling out a hand grenade from a guest bag? Like what's going on? No, actually, uh, apparently it was a very nice uh, very nice handbag. Like, I don't think it was like quite as nice as like a Celine, um, or like a Louis Vuitton, but it was, it was like a nice, like a pretty nice purse. Okay. So it was a coach. I, I think it was a little up from a coach. Like a Prada. Yeah. Like the Prada Gucci range. Okay. Or it I, is Paris, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like if you're like going out and, uh, in something like not nice, that's going to also draw attention. But regardless, the hand grenade is pulled and employee, like they kind of stick to the same MO as they did the last time. Like the employees get wrangled to a central location and the thieves start like taking them around individually to open all the display cases and deactivate the alarms that they had just been setting to close the store. Uh, the thieves continued to threaten the employees. And every time somebody tried to get like a little uppity or like take their time, Mm -hmm. the thieves actually like, and this is, this is pretty chilling. The thieves would shout out the home addresses and names of the shop workers. So if somebody like wasn't opening something fast enough, they'd be like, hurry up share landman of one, two, three fake street. Like just to kind of be like, okay, like we know where you live. Like, you know, do this the easy way. Oh shit. And it was also, yeah, and it was also to, to kind of dissuade them from cooperating with authorities after the heist because that just kind of like sets the fear in them that, you know, if I mess up, like they, they do know where I live. Mm-hmm. I'd be moving. <laughs> I, I would also be moving. I'd be moving. And, and once I, again, I'm going to, I'm going to work for Tiffany. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I feel like that's the way to go at this point. The thieves, like, they move from display case to display case, and they're dumping watches, gems, like, you know, tennis breaks, anything they can get into this big rolling suitcase that they'd brought with them before moving into the store's main safe. And once the main safe gets opened, they they actually, like, the thieves knew enough to remove a false bottom from the safe, and they grabbed a 31-carat ring worth over $8 million. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's insane. Like thirty one carats is like a golf ball. How long had that ring been there? I mean, years, yeah. right? You know, that's a good question. Um, people like that's part of like the things that the investigators were were curious about because like they knew to go there, and so it's likely that it was actually pretty new. That um, ring, yeah, because otherwise, like they would have grabbed it the first time. Uh, to me, it's just kind of like, maybe, maybe, I mean, these guys have a lot of information, I think, from the source. Like, when you're dealing with stones on this level, there's, there's definitely a supply chain, right? Like, you're getting it from a certain mine that's coming, it's going to a certain trader who is... Uh, a, a resource for jewelers like this, Harry Winston. Now, the thing is, when you have something of that high dollar mark, even though it is Paris, you know, you and you, I guess you have buyers internationally. So maybe this was like going to be bought up by some Saudi prince. 
it definitely could be. Or sometimes when you have stones like this size that are like this level of like flawlessness and things like that, uh, a lot of times the, these thieves will actually cut them down. So this 31 carat diamond might've been cut down to like a 25 carat diamond. Yep, and you, you cut it many, many, many times to, in order to resell it so that it can't be traced. You know, that was the story I think with the hope diamond, didn't they cut that, that stone down? They, they did. And, and that's, a, that's a good point because like a lot of diamonds have like very, very, very tiny laser etching. Like if you have a, like a powerful jeweler's loop, you can usually see like the serial number, but if you're cutting, if you're cutting the diamond down that significantly, you're going to be cutting through that security number. Now you've got an untraceable diamond. Yeah. And so that's, that's probably, that's part, probably partly why Harry Winston was, was chosen because these stones are still so large and so pristine that cutting them down, like you're not going to, you're not really going to impact your payday by that much because you're never getting retail. The only person getting like close to retail is going to be Harry Winston when they, you know, turn this into their insurance company. But every, like everything else, like the thieves are going to be lucky to probably get 30% of the actual value when they go to their fence. Hmm. But by doing, by having diamonds like this that they can cut down, they're still going to be able to, like, they're not losing much on that 30%. Like, they're still going to be able to sell them for a significant amount of money. 30% of $8 million is pretty. That's like two and a half million. Yeah. That's not bad. Pretty good. And so once the safe gets emptied, the thieves, like, everything's loaded into their wheelie suitcase and they run out of the store with a haul of just under 300 gems and over a hundred watches. This heist took less than 20 minutes from the time they walked into the door to the time they left. And it was one of the most expensive in French history. And police like pretty much immediately, like once they hear that Harry Winston had been robbed again, they're like, okay, this is definitely the same guys as last time. Like oh, the MO was away. Yeah. Yeah, like because this is yeah, this is a high profile. Like this is like that job that like everybody's like, why why hasn't this been solved yet? Mm-hmm. And so they pretty much immediately realize that this is the same people. Like the mo is the same. Like the skill is the same. Like they they rounded everybody up, moved them around the same, and so like luckily for for the thieves this time or I'm sorry, luckily for the police this time, the second heist left significantly more evidence for them to work with, including uh, one of the purses carried by the thieves got left at the scene. So they were able to pick up a complete fingerprint. Honey, we got your ID in here. Yeah. It would have been really funny if they like really leaned into it and like used like the wallet or like the little, uh, like the card carrier and just like went with it. But they didn't like they didn't leave ID. <laughs> but they did have a fingerprint on there, and also because of how quickly this heist had happened, like because it was in and out in twenty minutes, they didn't get rid of the security tapes. And so, while the police are reviewing the footage from the heist, they notice that one of the security guards, a guy named Maloud Denejad, he hadn't been attacked by the thieves. And they kind of just like let him walk around the store at his leisure. And at no point did he like make an attempt to stop them or, you know, hit the alarm that he was standing next to. Like, so they pretty quickly realized that this guy was probably an inside man. And they also looked at his schedule and discovered that uh, Janad um, was also the security guard who had been the one to lock the store up the night before the first heist. So that night when all of a sudden there's four burglars just chilling in the stairwell, like it was the same guy who locked the store up that night. Janad, you in big trouble, boy. He is in big trouble. And so with Janad pinned as the heist's inside man, uh, police started like looking into his finances and saw a bunch of like really strange spending habits from him, including like paying cash for a bunch of luxury vacations with his wife at the French Riviera, 
and like basically he's he's spending money that a security guard should not be spending and he's doing it all in cash like pretty pretty blatantly yeah you know my boyfriend is a security guard and we have not been on any french riviera trips so i can tell you it's a little suspicious that's that's fair where's Actually, no, I'm not actually going to ask where he's a security guard at because I figured that could, if something happens, I don't want to be implicated. Oh, shit. Yeah. he. Was, <laughs> I told him I was doing this podcast and, he, and I said, you should do it. He's like, I don't want anything related to that. <laughs> that's that's 100% fair. This is smoke that people do not want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and but detectives got a no- museum in the city. So. <gasps> Okay, we'll we'll talk later. <laughs> uh, so detectives got another break in the case when one of the tip lines that they had set up got a call from an anonymous informant who said, "Hey, I would definitely suggest you look into a couple guys, uh, one named Farida Lu, and one named Dodu Yahui." And I probably like really messed those names up, but police. Like they they spring in like as soon as they hear the name Farid, they're like, okay, like this this might be our guy. And they quickly put wiretaps on both of those men's phones and reveal a connection between uh Janad and also, you know, Farid Alu and Dudu Yahui. His name is Dudu. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was trying to play it so cool. Uh, but <laughs> But basically, during during this wiretapping, they, they actually hear some of these guys discussing the loot, including the 31-carat ring, which they were trying to figure out what to do with. And so the men set up a date to divide the cash from the heist, uh, because typically that's going to happen a little bit after, at least a little bit after the heist. Because Wait, there's cash in the registers that they robbed? Well, this isn't like cash from from that it's uh cash that they get from their fence by like they sell him the diamonds okay and so typically uh like typically the way that a fence is going to work uh there were a lot of places in like new york city's little italy that that would do this uh where you'd have like a, a legit jewelry store or like a, a quote-unquote legit jewelry store and then you'd have like diamond thieves go and like rob you know rob a jewelry store uh, if they had a connection with the fence already, like they had some sort of relationship, they would like go over to them, hand them like an envelope or, you know, some case or like, you know, the D and D dice bag full of diamonds. And then they would leave. And the next day after everything was appraised and things like that, the, the fence would hand them the cash. So it was usually very quick. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you, when you're, here's the thing, I don't know. When you're dealing with like illegal things, like how how legitimate is that appraisal going to be? Well, yeah. for these guys, uh, it is actually going to be in like very very legit. Like this is, uh, we'll get into who these thieves actually were a part of uh, because they're my favorite group. We'll just get into it right now. Uh, these thieves were all members of the world's most famous jewel heist uh, or like gang of jewel thieves the pink panthers that's real it's it's a real thing and they are the coolest people on earth um, uh like if i'm i'm just like like crime's bad don't do it but like the the pink panthers like i would buy every single one of them a beer if i could uh, they're actually named the pink panthers because during one of their so We'll get into a little bit. I, I want to do an episode on these guys eventually. And I'm in talks with actually one of the founders of the Pink Panthers. So I might do it as an interview style. Wow. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Uh, but basically, the, the Pink Panthers are a group of right around between two and 800 uh, individuals, mostly located in the Balkans and Central Eastern Europe. And... We'll get into their history a little bit, bit more, but basically it's, it's like more than just a gang of thieves. It's like a whole criminal network. So they have people that are thieves. They have people that are masterminds. They have an extensive series of resellers, fences. Um, they have like people that just assist in like with general 
heist tasks. Like they, anything like basically the whole supply chain, like they have jewel cutters that will cut these things down. Like anything that you need to like, typically, yeah, I'll say that like typically like jewel theft and stuff like that or theft in general, like it's tricky to make it profitable because you have to like, like you have to have a seller or you have to have a buyer, but with the pink Panthers, like they're like a whole crime ecosystem. And so they have all of this stuff. So when they get these stones, they're going to pass them onto their fence. Who's going to like assess them, figure out like, okay, what can we cut these down to? Uh, And then they're going to give the thieves their, their cash. And then they're going to handle the sales and stuff like that. So it's like a distributed, uh, a, a distributed, but decentralized like criminal network. Wow. Can you find yeah. out if you talk to this guy, can you find out if he's got um what he's what he's trying to unload? <laughs> I'll I'll see what I can do. <laughs> but basically, like this is this is like the break that the police are going for. Like they they realize, okay, like um they're gonna split up the money. So let's go and they find the site and they immediately arrest both um, Farid and Dudu. And uh, Janad was also arrested with five other unnamed accomplices. So this is like very clearly an inside job. And it's because the other accomplices aren't named, it's likely that some of them might've even been other employees at Harry Winston, because how else are you going to know about like what's in the bottom of the safe and things like that? Yeah. And so Janan actually cooperated fully with the investigators and told them about his involvement, deactivating the alarms before the first heist, opening the door for everybody. And he ended up getting sentenced to five years in prison in 2015 with three years of that being suspended. So he's out now. Alou was, uh, Farid Alou was also, he was sentenced to 10 years for the heist and Dudu, who police had claimed to be the mastermind of both robberies, got 15 years in prison. In total, um, 880 pieces were stolen during both heists, and police were able to find several hundred of those in uh, Dudu's apartment, but fi- like over 500 of the stolen pieces remain missing to this day and are likely have already been like scrapped, salvaged, and resold. Interesting. Yeah, which is, which is pretty wild. And... Uh, another cool thing about the Pink Panthers, as far as I know, like my research has shown that Alu and Dudu are still in prison. But one of the things that the Pink Panthers do a lot is if one of their guys is like a high up, like, you know, very high skilled thief or something like that, they, they break him out of jail. Like they'll just like they'll stage like prison breaks to get some of their people out of prison before big heists. Wow. Yeah. Like imagine like. Could you imagine having a, a job that cared that much about you? <laughs> <laughs> You're that essential. Like, yeah, I, feel like I feel like everyone's repla- replaceable at work, you know, pretty much. is just- Yeah, exactly. Like if I went to jail right now, my job would have like a LinkedIn post and like an Indeed post, like by lunchtime, like they wouldn't break me out of jail. Like, I love my company. I love my job, but they're not going to break me out of jail. The pink Panthers will break you out of jail. If you're important enough to them. If I was in jail, my company would like certain people would have a party. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be like, we told you she was trash. They'd be doing like a dance or something. (laughs) That's so funny. I don't know why Pete. It's just New York. It's like cutthroat. It, It is cutthroat. It, it really is. And also like, I'll just, this is like a fun fact. Like this is how the pink Panthers got their name. Um, in 2003, there was a jeweler in on bond street in London, which is like one of their, it's kind of like one of their fifth avenues. Uh, London's got a couple like big shopping streets. And within a couple minutes, these thieves hit $30 million in diamonds and precious stones. And like during during the uh, the investigation, like the police were searching a suspect's apartment and they found this jar of like face cream, like the, the skincare stuff. And on a lark, like uh, the, the police, like, you know, stuck a couple fingers in the face cream and found a huge blue diamond hidden in there. 
Wow. And that was the exact same thing that in the old 60s cartoon and like 60s like TV show, uh-huh. uh, the Pink Panther Thief hit a uh, diamond in the face cream. So that's where the nickname came from was because they did that in what was like clearly an homage to the original Pink Panther. Wow. And yeah, they're, they're extremely cool. Yeah. You kind of like play the theme song too. Like every time you say Pink Panther, I feel like do 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 It's, it's so solid. Like they're, they're the coolest people, but in term in the comedy world, you're the coolest person share. If somebody wants to find you online, uh, we discussed your Instagram already, but what's the best way for them to like find you, follow you and support you? Yes. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, I play regularly at the grizzly pair and, you know, just making my way. I have a show next weekend, next Saturday night at TIFFs in Morris Plains, New Jersey at Comedy Dojo there. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, follow me on Instagram, share C-H-E-R, the comedian. And also on Twitter, share C-H-E-R, Erica, E-R-I-C-A. P. it has been a pleasure and I can't wait to hear more about these gems. Really, this is what I'm into. Thank you. Yeah, it it has been a pleasure. It's it's gonna be super fun. And yeah, these are the the Pink Panthers are also the people that uh, are the likeliest suspects in the Kim Kardashian uh, robbery because, of course, they are. And but yeah, like and, and if you're liking the show, like we're we're gonna do like a a deep dive on the Pink Panthers in a future episode because there's just there's too much to get into here. But if you're liking the show, go ahead, follow us, subscribe on Instagram or on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us online at I Can Steal That on all of the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We're doing it all these days. And always feel free to reach out to us with episode suggestions, questions, comments. If I totally slaughtered a name, let me know how to say it and I will get it right the next time. You can send us an email at I can steal that at gmail.com. But this has been I Can Steal That. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. And I will be much more consistent with them moving forward because the book is done. So very excited about that. Thank you guys.